0: Welcome to another episode of my YouTube channel. Today I am here with Brian and I think I I, I met you on, um, I might've met you at a conference a few years ago. I'm not sure, but recently we got in touch through Facebook. I've been posting various things on my Facebook page and Brian added some some of his own comments to some of my posts. Uh, so, in particular about the self. So, I've I've been posting a lot about the topic of selfishness, and in some of uh, Brian's comments, he, he mentioned, well, what about the self? That's a more fundamental idea than selfishness. Before you know what selfishness is, uh, you have to have some idea of what uh, the self is. So, that's one topic that it seemed like you were interested in. So, I guess we could just start. Uh, by uh, talking about that, uh, I can turn it over to you. And you can tell me, what is it about the self that you're interested in knowing more about or exploring or whatever?
1: Well, it just comes from maybe agreeing with Ayn Rand that, okay, selfishness, it seems like that would be something we strive for. But then how do we do it? So how do we do selfishness? First, we're going to have to define self in order to even carry this out, right? We have to have a good idea of what the self is if we're going to be rationally self-interested. So where do we start, right?
0: Okay, yeah. If, if we're going to be rationally self-interested and do what's good for ourself, we have to know what the self is. Yeah. And I guess there's different views of what the self could be. So um, uh, she says in certain places that the, the self is the mind. Yeah. Uh, I think um, on the Ayn Rand Lexicon, which is for anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's a website which has got, it's kind of like a mini encyclopedia of objectivism. And it has all these terms that come up in Ayn Rand's philosophy. And there's an entry there for the self. And I think in that entry, she says, actually, I can, I was just looking at that before I call. So just to make sure I get it right, I can pull up uh, what she says here. So in the very first entry under the term self, uh, it says, A man's self is his mind. The faculty that perceives reality forms judgments chooses values. So there she, she not only says what the self is by saying that the self is
1: man's mind. mind,
0: but then she goes on to say what the mind is. The mind is the faculty that perceives reality, forms judgments, chooses values. Hmm. So that's from her essay, Selfishness Without a Self. Um, so there's a, a little bit, which is in the book, Philosophy, Who Needs It? So, so there's a little on her view of what the self
1: is. Well, could you repeat those faculties that she says the mind does?
0: Yeah, it says the faculty that perceives reality, forms judgments, chooses values.
1: Chooses values, that's interesting. Um, yeah. But I... I think, do you think that's complete? Uh, because maybe our self includes our body. Um, maybe it doesn't. Um,
0: well, there. it could be that there are different senses of self, some of which do include the body and some of which don't. Um, I'm just uh, reminded of another there's more than one entry under the self. So in the second one, she says, um, she uses this phrase, the that essential you. Um, oh. So just to read a little more of what this one says, the self you have betrayed is your mind. This is from one of the characters' speeches in one of her novels. Uh, so he's talking to an audience and he says, the self you have betrayed is your mind. Self-esteem is reliance on one's power to think. The ego you seek, that essential you, which you cannot express or define, is not your emotions or inarticulate dreams, but your intellect, that judge of your, that judge of your supreme tribunal whom you've impeached in order to drift away at the mercy of any stray shyster you describe as your feeling. So, she gives a little more there. She again says that self is the mind, but then she elaborates and she uses this phrase "essential you." And I was reminded of that when you mentioned the body, because I was thinking that um, where did your picture go? I have hold on a second. You're uh, got still you in good. this little screen, and I, I don't know how to make it big again. Um, that's all right. So. Sometimes um, people say, like, um, there's more to me than just a body, you know. Mm -hmm. Love me for me, who I am essentially, which I think the way that's often meant when people say something like that is, don't just love me for my body. That's not who I am, essentially. I have a mind. I have a a soul. um, Or you might use the term spirit. There's an inner part. So don't, it's just superficial if you only like someone for their external appearance. What's more essential about somebody is um, the internal aspect of it. At least that's, I think that's a common sentiment. So it might be that in certain contexts um, that the term self could include something like the body. Like if someone uh, uses physical force against you, punches you. You might say, don't hit me. <laughs> but So, and you might say, well, I didn't hit you. I just hit your body. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I didn't hit your minds. Um, yeah. so, although that's, that gets a little bit complicated because if you're, uh, if you can feel it in your body, then you might say, oh, well, actually in a sense, my, my body is in a way it's kind of conscious because my feelings, there's something conscious. Um, but maybe that's that's a bit of an aside. But anyways, I I think in some contexts it might make sense to include the the body as part of a conception of the self. But in other contexts, I think there's a sense in which the self is contrasted with the body and is meant to form a, um, focus more on the internal aspect of a person, which is you know, the mind or consciousness.
1: I think somewhere she says that her ethics is about survival. So. It would seem that uh, selfishness is about survival. Possibly your body would be included. Maybe even like um, learning the right things to do with your body, learning the right ways to eat or or to move it in order for it to be possibly pain free or thrive.
0: Yeah, um, survival definitely is is uh, essential to her ethics, what her ethics is about. So on her view, ethics is about um, the standard of good and bad for her is what uh, promotes one's life or one's survival, and that which is, that's what's good, that which promotes one's life or survival, and that which, the bad is that which detracts from one's survival or one's life and of course um, the body is a necessary part of survival. You can't survive as a ghost uh, without a body. Um, You need a body to survive. Um, So yeah, if you're promoting your your own survival, the survival of your body, uh, yeah so promoting your own survival would include promoting the survival of your body. And that would be part of what selfishness includes, It's not just doing things that are um, good for your mind, but also doing things that are good for your body. So for example, eating well, um, getting enough sleep, things that we typically think of as physical as to, as opposed to mental or spiritual taking medicines if you're yeah. sick so yeah maybe if we're thinking in this uh larger conception of self that isn't just focused on the mind taking care of yourself would include taking care of your body
1: well yeah when we're talking survival it seems like almost only really the body like material needs Our survival. Physical things, right? There's not really much, I mean, mind work that you need to do to figure out how much to eat. And (laughs) I mean, maybe there's a lot of work you could do learning about nutrition or something like that, but to just provide for your survival, it's just physical things. You need food and shelter.
0: I want to to address that. But first, I just, I want to see if I can fix my screen here. It's it's bothering me. The, um, uh, I want to see if I can get it back to the the way it looked when I started this. Hold on a second.
1: All right. So, um,
0: So we touched on here. a lot,
1: we touched on a lot of topics and you said that, uh, passage, I think from Atlas Shrugged a while back now. And what was interesting to me is that when she was explaining the mind, she explained it as the intellect, uh, which was a further kind of a new, a new word introduced to us. And so y- yourself is your mind, and then it's your intellect specifically. Yeah,
0: and she distinguished that from one's emotions hmm. and feelings.
1: Right, I, I wonder why, you know, my intellect, one of my tools, would be me, and another one of my tools, my emotions would not be.
0: Right, yeah, I think that's um, that's worth talking about some. Um, I, I believe that um, this could be tied to volition. So on her view, uh, the mind is volitional, and that's what's directly under our control is Well, you you can distinguish parts of consciousness which are directly under one's control and parts which are not. So emotions, they can just, I guess they always occur automatically. So you might see something, watch a movie, and then some scene just, it makes you feel fear or delight or something. But you don't directly choose to have those emotions. You don't say, I am now going to choose to feel scared. It doesn't work that way. It's You have to see something and then, or hear something, or somehow be aware of something, and then that causes you to feel a certain way. But- I don't with, know that. <laughs> okay, well, just to finish this thought, and then we can consider uh, objections to it. Um, the intellect on her view the thinking part of the mind is directly under one's control. One can directly choose to think or not to think. An example I sometimes like to use in this connection is um imagine someone gives you a math problem and they say, Do this in your head. 37 times 68. Oh no. What's, what's the answer? Now you can choose to start trying to multiply it out 37 times 68 let's see first they're going to start with the ones column so there's a seven and an eight so i'm going to multiply those i get 56 all right so i'm going to get a six and at any point during this process you can just say i'm not going to do this this is too much work i don't care about the answer or you can go ahead with it but you have direct control over whether you continue that thinking process or not um So that's unlike the emotions where you don't have direct control over whether you experience it or not at a given time. At least that's the claim. So we can now- Where does that,
1: yeah, uh, where does that claim come from?
0: Well, just I think introspectively, that's um, what she would claim at least. That's what we observe, that emotions seem to happen automatically and to not be under our direct volitional control, whether whereas our intellect or the thinking part of us, we do have
1: direct control over how that operates or whether it operates. Well, I agree that um, most of us have control over the thinking mechanism, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people are torturing themselves with their thoughts going on all the time. They don't know how to turn it off. But as far as your emotions, like... What if I were just to say to you something like, maybe you're upset and I say to you, calm down. Like, is that meaningless or or is there something to that?
0: Um, I I don't know that it's meaningless. I mean, there there might be something to that. Um, It it could be um, interpreted as do something that will help you calm down like you i don't know that you can directly calm down um but i mean there's a whole issue of like uh psychotherapeutic um practice and what what is a good way to help people change their mental functioning and depending on the circumstances um it might be different what you need to do in order to calm down so Someone might say, calm down, just focus on your breathing, and that will help you calm down. And so that might be something that you could have volitional control over. And as a result of that, focusing on your breathing, you would calm down. But I don't know that you can directly
1: just calm down. But isn't focusing on your breathing direct? Focus is a direct thing. Uh, Yeah, that—that's what I'm claiming. Yeah, focus is a direct thing, so we can focus on our emotions, like all the meditative traditions, Buddhism and Hinduism. They teach you to just focus, uh, observe, be aware of the emotion, let it pass. Don't let it be. Don't be controlled by it. Or eventually, you start learning to, maybe you don't manipulate it directly, as you said, but maybe you learn to change it very quickly. Maybe that's through manipulation of your breath or
0: some other way. So the, the these meditative practices, which I, I'm not very familiar with, but, um, but I, I think it is, I commonly hear that they say things like focus on your breath as a way of uh, stilling the mind. Um, so, but is this a way of, I mean, so is this um, a counterexample to the idea that emotions happen automatically? Like if
1: I... Your, your thought was that um, uh, thoughts are things that we can control automatically, but emotions we cannot control automatically. We didn't discuss body, but I think body we can also control, probably uh, directly through direct focus. Um, but you were saying that because emotions are automatic and thoughts we can control through direct focus, um, only, only thoughts are us, or only intellect is us and not the emotions, based on Rand's quote in Atlas Shrugged.
0: Well, I, I think to, uh, I want to be careful here. Um, thoughts can be distinguished from the act of thinking, so sometimes a thought if we can if we consider a thought to be something with content like um, I just had the thought that uh, I should um, ask my roommate to take out the trash next week that thought might just pop into my minds uh, yeah. automatically. So there's a sense in which thoughts can be automatic, but the okay. action of thinking is what I think there's an element of volition there. Like I, I think the math example is, is helpful because it, can, it isolates the action of thinking from the content of thought. So I can choose to put forth the effort of doing this math problem, and if I do choose to put forth that effort, a certain thought might enter my mind automatically, like the ones digit is gonna be a six. I didn't choose that particular content, but I did choose to engage in the effort of
1: thinking. Focus. So, but then we can can engage in the effort of focus with regards to our emotions as well. Right, Uh,
0: I mean, we can, so to flesh that out a bit, does that mean like we can can focus on a particular emotion that we're having?
1: Uh, Yes, or you could just focus on something else. So say like uh, one claim is that we can't change our emotions, but I would just think, why don't I focus on something else? And then say I was having a bad mood about somebody pulled their car in front of me while I'm driving. I'm thinking all these bad thoughts about it. I could just focus on something different, whether it's an emotion, a feeling in my body. I could focus on the landscape in front of me and not even have my thought turned on. I could do all sorts of things with my focus in order to make my emotions dissipate, my negative emotions.
0: Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. So in that case, it sounds like what we're doing is not, uh, we're not directly changing the emotion. We're doing something that as a result of doing it, changes the emotion. So if you, you feel angry because someone cuts you off on the freeway, and then you you want to stop feeling that anger, and you can't just say, you can't just order yourself, stop feeling angry. It's still going to be angry. But if you say something like, Think about the, the wonderful um, dinner you're going to have with your friend tonight or something. Focus yeah. on that. And then once you, you can choose to do that, and as a result of doing that, then the anger dissipates.
1: Yeah, you cannot, through the intellect, convince yourself when you're angry with more thoughts about how to not get angry. Because your thoughts are going to be circling around the thing that made you angry. So you can't just say, uh, Don't be angry about that with your intellect. In fact, that won't even arise. You need to back up a bit and witness your thought. So you need to be the focusing agent again. Uh,
0: Perhaps, yeah, I mean, getting some distance from from your
1: emotion can- From your thoughts as well. From your thoughts? Yeah, if they're not purposeful. You definitely need to evaluate.
0: Yeah, um getting a second opinion, getting someone else's opinion. No,
1: I mean if if somebody pulls off or pulls in front of me in traffic and I'm upset about it, I'm having all these thoughts and they're not serving me whatsoever, right? So I need to back up and say why is my mind even doing this right now? To turn off and on my intellect like you were saying. We have that control.
0: Yeah, I mean getting kind of meta about it. I I I think could be helpful, meaning um, thinking about your thinking, um, meta thinking you might call it, uh, could help get some distance from the thoughts that are causing you to feel this undesirable
1: emotion. I don't know if that would be thinking about thinking because we wouldn't be using a voice. We wouldn't be using that oral stream of words, A-U-R-A-L, as an auditory. You know. Our thoughts go through our head in this stream that you you hear, right? And then in the background, there's an atmosphere of emotion all the time. And you might think, oh, I don't have emotion right now. You might be feeling peacefulness or equanimity, but you always have thoughts and emotion in the background. And you can turn it off and on that thought if you wish.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm just uh, making an adjustment here. Um, I think the, uh, your meta thoughts could be aural.
1: Well, if you're meta, then you can't use words anymore, right? If you're, if you're witnessing thought, the witness of thought does not use words. So it's not thinking about thinking. It's not thought. The witness of the words is not doing words. The witness is just witnessing.
0: I don't see why why that
1: would be true. Like if I'm right now, let's say... Um, Only the intellect uses words. The witness is what turns on and off the intellect. It itself is not an intellect.
0: Okay, you're bringing in this term witness. Um, so maybe you have a particular thing in mind by that. But when I said meta-thinking, uh, I I just meant thinking about thinking, and I don't think there's... Like I, if I, I might be thinking about um, whatever, this math problem, to go back to that example, and then I might have the thought about that process of thinking that it's boring. So that would be a thought about a second order thought, we might also use that language, a second order thought about the first order thought. So the first order thought being what is seven times eight, and then I can have a thought about that thought, namely that it's boring to perform this calculation. Mm-hmm. And that second order or or meta thought, um, I think, can also be in words. And so. Yeah. That,
1: that, yeah, that's thinking.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I think thinking and what I'm calling meta thinking can both be in words.
1: Okay, I understand you. So some you're having another thought about some thoughts that you had previously. You call that meta-thinking. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: And I think doing that can help you to uh, get some distance from the first-order thoughts, the non-meta-thoughts, if those non-meta-thoughts or the first-order thoughts are what's causing you to have this undesirable emotion. So this guy is such a jerk who cut me off. Um, Maybe that's a first order thought you have. And then you can think about that thought and say, um, that thought is causing me to feel angry right now. And I don't want to feel anger. Uh, That's an unpleasant emotion. So um, instead I'm going to focus on uh, the upcoming dinner I'm going to have with my friend, and maybe that will help calm me down. Okay, but I don't voice that. Do you?
1: Um, Like, if I'm realizing realizing that, that all happens in where I'm just, what am I doing here? Uh, And it's not voiced, and then I change my consciousness to something else. I don't say, why don't I think about dinner (laughs) in my head again, you know?
0: I think it might vary from case to case. I mean something it might be implicit in some cases. It, you kind of have a subverbal uh thought to that effect which if you put it into words would be the sort of thing I said um, other times maybe it is at least partly in explicit words um, so I don't know that um, maybe like the the center of the page example of a thought is something that is in explicit words, but I'm not sure that uh, that the term thought has to only be used for acts of consciousness, which involve explicit words. Maybe there can be
1: implicit thoughts. I was just thinking when I, whenever I say thoughts, I just think of the voice that, you know, the voice that you can turn on or off in your head. I don't really call like different things like, a, uh, what comes in on the seat of my consciousness is, is emotions, feelings from my body, thoughts. Uh, I'm able to examine all those things and look at them, but, uh, it feels like that would be me, that that seat of looking at all those things would be me rather than the separate tools I have, emotions, thoughts, body, or maybe all those three things are me.
0: Yeah, so what exactly does the, the self encompass? Um, I made a little list here um, earlier. Of, of various things that have come up. So, mind, body, emotions, thought, intellect, feeling. Um, and I, I think it might just vary depending on the context as to what is relevance to include uh, in the notion of a self or in the notion of me. Uh
1: so in in the how context, we, go ahead. Cool. Well, I want to say, like, if, how can we go from there and then to acting selfishly? Like, is there a way we can, because if we leave one out, then we're not going to take care of our body, or we're not going to take care of our emotions, or we're not going to think, right?
0: So I think maybe it's helpful in, in figuring out how this is relevant to the topic of selfishness, um, this contrast with other people is maybe the relevance sort of contrast. So the idea that it's good to be selfish in Ayn Rand's sense of that term, is that it's good to live for yourself as opposed to other people. So it's often selfishness is contrasted with altruism or, or the term egoism uh, is uh, contrasted with altruism. Egoism is, you know, another term that comes up in uh, philosophy and in general, and Ayn Rand's philosophy in particular. So she she has a lot to say about egoism versus altruism or selfishness versus selflessness, where the altruism or the selflessness often means living for other people and altruism literally means etymologically otherism. So there I think um, the relevant sense of self doesn't doesn't so really how do you... distinguish between mind and body. It's it's rather oneself versus other people or you, maybe you could think of it like this, one's own mind and body versus other people's minds and body. And what she's saying when she's saying be selfish is do what's good for your own mind and body as opposed to those other mind-body composites out there. Although, you know, this is kind of a weird way of speaking. Um, she thinks of people as indivisible entities with these two aspects, mind and
1: body. Um, So she thinks the self is mind and body and emotions.
0: Well, I think in, I I don't want to speak for her, but I think in certain contexts, like in ethical context where the issue is, should I live for myself or should I live for others? In that kind of context, I I don't think it,
1: it's not obvious to me that one needs to make a distinction between that that kind of question though, mind and body. doesn't that get settled once you know what the self is? Like, should I live for myself or others? We're, we're contrasting something that we, we don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> like, I, don't, I think it's too far down the chain of ethics. We should go back to the, I guess, the meta ethics and say, um, how are we even distinguishing between these two things if we haven't defined what self is? We can't say what selflessness is if we haven't defined self. We can't say what selfishness is if we haven't defined self. So I think the... Uh, How do we even know somebody's living selflessly? Or selfishly?
0: Okay, so, I mean, we have an idea. I mean, it's in, in a way it's perceptual. We can just see there are other people in the world. That's perceptually given. Uh, people are entities, and uh, entities are given at the perceptual level, just like, you know, there's rocks and cars and books and all these things in the world, and uh, we see them as these discrete things, um, which can interact with each other,
1: but... So the, uh, people, the people we see who have the healthiest bodies, we could therefore determine they're the selfishness people?
0: Uh, well that's not what I'm saying I'm just saying I'm trying to kind of build up to the idea of um, what selfishness is in this sense of living for yourself Um, I mean you were saying like well how do we know what what it is to live selfishly if we don't yet have an idea of what the self is and I think we we do have an idea of what the self is. And part of the way we get it is through this perceptual contrast of these different entities in the world. So we see that there are entities in the world and we ourselves are entities. And uh, I guess a, a child learns that at a certain point, he um, gets self-awareness uh, at first, uh, a child or an animal is, I don't think, is aware of itself. It's just aware of the world. And at a certain point of development, it learns, I'm conscious <laughs> of the world. Uh, this is something an animal might never reach. It sees the world, but it doesn't have an idea of itself in a way that a human being does. And... uh I, I don't know if um, some of these mirror experiments, I think psychologists sometimes do, they like hold up a a child to a mirror and you can al- also do this with a dog or a cat or something. And some animals, I mean, they don't give any sign of recognizing that it is themselves that they're seeing in the mirror. So the body... So they, they whereas... Um, a human at, su- at a certain point realizes, oh, that's me. <laughs> and they, so they get a sense of themselves uh, as a being in the world, like all these other beings that they that are aware of. And um, so I think that's part of the foundation for getting an idea of what it is to be selfish. Now, I think there's more to it. Like you need the
1: idea of pleasure and pain um, well, about that, about that image of you, that, that is you, because that, I would say that's an image of me that I see. A snapshot of my body right now, just uh, like my body only in the mirror, is what I'm seeing. And that's a snapshot of Brian's body right now in 2020. It's not what Brian's body looked like when he was six months old. It's not what Brian's body will look like when he's 80 years old. It's just my body.
0: Yeah, it's it's your body at a given time. So and you know that body
1: can change. Uh, so we're saying the bounds of our the bounds of ourselves are where we stop feeling uh, sensory information. Our body. Well, I don't. I don't. Uh, because you were mentioning en- different entities. Yeah. Like we see different entities and I guess, so where are we drawing the boundaries of, of you and me, right? Some people would include their property and their land as part of them because they need it for their body to survive. Some people would include the air around them because if you take a human being and put him in outer space, he's gonna die. <laughs> so uh, there's a whole bunch of things around you just outside of your sensory perception that are required for life, for your life, are they you um, or should we go back further internally and say not even the body and my property or me, they're just things that I use, tools that I use or things that I feel? So with with things in your
0: environments, I think it's, it's at least less common. I don't know if it's ever right to say something in my environment, like this, this pencil I'm holding up is me Um,
1: as opposed to... People will say, I have juice. Yeah. And then they drink it and they say, this juice is me.
0: Yeah. So there we have something crossing a boundary. (laughs) So it's, (laughs) it's outside your body and then it, it's, no longer outside your body. And I think um, there are at least some contexts where it makes sense to say, now the juice is part of me. Um, once you've, you've drank it, swallowed it. Um, but when it's outside in the bottle, I can't think off the top of my head of a context where it makes sense or where you need to epistemologically, like it would be useful to say, um, you know, that
1: the juice is me as opposed to something I'm holding. They'd say it's mine, right? Yeah. Yeah, the juice is mine. Uh, They wouldn't say it's me. But then a lot of people are identified with their body, but what if that's just wrong? What if their body is theirs? What if it isn't them? What if my body is mine? What if it's not me? I use my body. How could what I use be me? So the uh,
0: so there there are there there are contexts where where I think it makes sense. Like to take an example from earlier, if someone hits you, punches you, you might say, "Don't hit me." And uh, I guess there's a presupposition there that the body is part of you. If, if it's right to say, don't hit me, implying that you were hit, that implies the
1: body is part of you. Um, well, for communication purposes, you might say, uh, don't hit me because it's faster than don't hit my body. But there's also the, <laughs> the aspect which also
0: i mentioned earlier that you you can feel that punch with your body so there is something conscious about your body which i guess relates to your your point a minute something ago larger. about there's something sensory there so like what if you were um if you didn't have any feeling in the part of your body where you were hit would it make sense or would would it make As much sense to say don't hit me
1: um they'd say if they're paraplegic they'd say don't hit my legs you might say don't hit me but it's just communication right it doesn't if i call that me it doesn't mean that it's not still my legs my legs aren't me okay so you're you're um like if i'm trying to communicate that to someone by saying me it doesn't just because I said me doesn't make my legs me now. It doesn't change anything about it. It's just I'm communicating that. So you, you think if the person were speaking strictly or literally
0: um, or long-windedly, <laughs> uh, he might say, um, you hit my, my leg. And it, it wouldn't literally be true to say that the person hit me hit him if if it's just his leg or, I guess, any part of his body that is hit. Is that the idea? It would literally be true? It would just be a, a shorthand way of speaking? If,
1: if he is not his body, then it wouldn't literally be true. If he is his body, then it is true. Okay. Have you yeah. ever heard um, some of the the Hindu and Buddhist traditions say something like, I don't know who said it, but I am not my body and I am not my mind. You heard of that type of phrase? No. I, I mean,
0: just... I, I think I've I mean I've heard in in Western culture the idea I am not my body, um, w- trying to convey the idea that the essential me is the inner part of me, which is came up earlier in the discussion. But the part about, I am not my minds, uh, that doesn't sound as Western, so. Yeah.
1: yeah, I guess, well, the mind is, we don't even know what that means if we didn't define that either. It can be a big tent with our, our, uh, our memories and our perceptions and our emotions and our thoughts and, and all these things. Or it can be like some, I don't know, it can be something smaller, I guess.
0: Yeah, the the minds, I think it can also be used in different senses uh, just as I think self can be used in different
1: senses. So Anyway, back back to the Eastern context, uh, usually what they mean by mind is just thoughts uh, or intellect going on and on, right? And that's why it's a useful meditative phrase to get people out of their incessant negative thinking. Right? To distance themselves from their thoughts, and also your body can be useful when you're sick, to distance yourself from that, right, when you're in pain.
0: Yeah, if you can, if, you, if there's a way to like, disconnect from these painful sensations that are going through your body, that, that could definitely be helpful. Um, also reminds me of uh, people who walk on hot coals,
1: or who do.
0: Some I've done routine. that.
1: I've done that down by you in Las Vegas. I went to Tony Robbins to try that. Oh, yeah? It wasn't actually. It wasn't actually that hard.
0: Oh. Did you uh, like turn off your bodily feelings, or did it like feel really painful?
1: Actually, they spray our feet right when we're done it, so it was like. By the time that you're starting to feel some pain, there's a trick because there's moisture and sweat on your feet, and if you if you walk across like 30 feet of hot coals, it burns off little bits of moisture before your actual skin really starts to fry. So, but I get your point. And uh, whenever I'm sick or whenever I have a headache, I use my focus to focus on something other than the pain, um, the pleasure of my breath. Uh, some kind of other pleasant thought, anything.
0: Mm. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Where are we now? (laughs)
1: Um, We're thinking, is is mind and body included in self? Because I was saying that um, what I was implying there is that it seems just like our focusing agent is really the root self or the, just this power of focus.
0: So I guess my, my view right now, which I don't have like an official worked out uh, view, but at least a view that seems plausible in the thinking I've done so far on this topic is that there are simply different contexts. And in some contexts, it makes sense to include both mind and body under the term self. Uh, In another context, it makes sense to only refer to the mind as the self. And I guess one just needs to keep straight which context is relevant at a given time.
1: And then for mind, you're saying the think like the intellect as Ayn Rand was calling the mind? like the thoughts or, or the big tent idea of mind, like emotions and uh, and uh, perceptions coming in and, and pain and pleasure and all these things that come into the consciousness? So there might be a, a further distinction
0: um, that needs to be made. So I mentioned two contexts. So one context in which mind and body are both included and then another where just mind is included. But we want want to further distinguish to to your point just now, and um say within the mind um, so there's the the volitional act of focusing or thinking, and then there's the other stuff the non volitional stuff one might think like motions, which just happened to you. Um, And you might want to carve those off and say, those aren't as essentially me as is the directly volitional stuff that I have direct control over. So I think there might be a third context where you're even more fine-grained about what, what the self is and in this more fine-grained way of looking at it, the self excludes some of the things that are conscious, like your emotions or even certain thoughts um, because they just automatically pop into your mind. And what you're saying in this third context is that what my self is is just the act of focusing or thinking.
1: Yeah. So. That I mean, it makes sense to me because that act of focus, um, that act, whatever it is, it's, it's like some kind of amorphous, like it doesn't have a shape or anything like that. It's just some kind of energy. Uh, that thing has stayed the same for the whole time that I've called myself I. Whereas my thoughts, if I were to call my thoughts I, my thoughts change every day. You ask me like what my thoughts were last year, <laughs> I would have had completely different thoughts. Uh, same with values. So, how can the I that is supposed to be staying the same be my thoughts when when they change constantly? But this act of volition—that's always been like it's never changed anyway. Mm. Yeah.
0: So there's something there's something constant about the act of focus as opposed to the particular.
1: Thoughts that run through your head, or even body, like all of our—you know—we're replacing our body all the time, um, just with food. Apparently, all of our cells are replaced, like in 12 months. And uh, much of our body is not even human cells; it's bacterial cells, more more than human cells, apparently. So all these things are getting replaced all the time, constantly. That, the act of will, is the only thing that's stayed the same for for all of your memory. Right?
0: Uh, in, in a way, yeah. So th- this is reminding me of the, the term personal identity, which is a topic in philosophy. Um, there are different theories of what, what makes something the same across time. And there's a question, not just for persons, but just for objects, you know, what makes an object like a car, the same car across time, uh, if you replace one tire, seems like the same car, right? If you replace yeah. the other tire, if you replace the engine, you know, how much of the car can you replace and have it still be the same car? Um, in philosophy, the
1: example that's often given
0: is the, the ship of Theseus, have you heard of this one?
1: Uh, they replace it brick by, or stone by stone? I don't know, wood by wood? Uh,
0: it, it's a boat, a, a ship, a boat. and it's made out of wooden planks. and. Uh, the idea is you replace one plank at a time. You know, is it still the same ship? Is it still the same ship? And at the end, you've replaced all the planks. And maybe you've even set aside the original planks and built an entirely new ship out of them. So now you have two ships. So which is the ship of Theseus? You know, if you started out with this, this thing that you called the ship of Theseus, and then you replace it plank by plank, and then you end up with a second ship, is the second ship the ship of Theseus, or is the first uh, so where is the ship and so this issue of identity applies not just to human beings but to you know ordinary objects in the world um, but I guess there are certain aspects, aspects of this issue of identity that are uh relevant or particularly um, that, that are specific to human beings. There are things you might propose in the case of human beings as being what makes something the same across time that you wouldn't propose in the case of a ship, for example, like, like consciousness. Um, if something has the same consciousness across time, maybe its body changes, but there's something the same about its consciousness. Um, so maybe that, in the case of human beings, is what accounts for someone being the same per- person across time or memory, John Locke used that as his, if um, if you can recall something, like, oh yeah, I remember doing this thing when I was three years old. So even though my body changed a lot over, <laughs> between all these years, since I have a connection via my memory to doing this action when I was
1: three, therefore I'm the same person that did that action that I did. Interesting, but I would just say I'm the same person because I'm the same energetic will that has always been there, rather than referencing my memory, uh, which is something that's also changing, to say that, oh, my body or, uh, was, was like that back then. Yeah, there might be good reasons uh, for... Uh, also, we can lose memory, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, we can forget things, so yet we still intuitively, to use that term, we might want to say, oh, I'm still the same person that did all the things I forgot, even though I forgot them. It's not like it was somebody else who did those things. Um, So that could be a reason for wanting some other thing to account for um, personal identity. So you're proposing
1: uh, will as being... Well, I I don't think the issue of, of being there and sustained for the whole time is, is like the proof that will is ourself, but it's more like um, I back up and and I look at myself or I look at the things that are given to me and I can witness my emotions. I can know what I'm feeling. I can feel what's going on in my body. I can witness my thoughts I can decide to turn off my thought. So clearly, my thought is a tool. Something that I turn off and on can't be me because if it's off, what am I? Am I dead? <laughs> uh, so I would say that this one that's watching all those things is this oneness that is watching my body, watching my emotions, knows what my emotions are, knows whether I should think or not. That would be me.
0: The, the watcher, the watching conception of the, of the me. So there is, uh, I mean, there is, uh, well, this is making me think of the distinction between the conceptual level and the, and the perceptual level. So Ayn Rand sometimes says that it's the conceptual level that's volitional. Um whereas the perceptual level is is automatic. So I just see things in the world when I open my eyes, I don't have to choose to see uh the computer that's in front of me. It's just you know, the the photons strike my eye and then automatically uh kazam, I have this um I see this computer, but the consideration
1: you can, you can divert your focus from your perceptions. Uh, yeah, to some extent, at least. Like I can easily just look internally called introspection.
0: Right. Um, so there, we can direct what we focus on in, in, perception to some extent, uh, Maybe with the hot coals, uh, you could f- focus on something other than the the feats. Maybe to to an extent, I don't know if you can in, like do that uh, forever, but maybe for a limited time, or maybe you can train up your ability to to get better and better at focusing
1: you on. Prob- yeah, you've probably seen that Vietnamese monk who self-immolated in Vietnam. Uh, it's like a famous picture from uh, Vietnam. Oh, he burned himself. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, Yeah. there's uh, there's also been people like uh, Jesus Christ, right? All of these people that uh, people look up to for their ability to uh, not be swayed by the world's pain and anger, right? Even when he was nailed to a cross, he wasn't like screaming, you know, like a little wussy. (laughs) He said, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. He was completely loving So we look up to these people because they're able to control that, that they're not at the whims of the world.
0: Well, I don't know if it's that they, of course, with Jesus, you know, there's a question of the historical accuracy of it, but just taking it for, if we assume the story is true, that he was nailed to the cross. I don't know if, I mean, also, you know, he's supposed to be divine. So there's, that complicates the story. But if we just assume assume he's a normal person um, and he's nailed to the cross, there's a question as to, um, does he still feel pain just like anyone would? And he just chooses to not express the agony in some external way, but he still feels it. Um, Or does he not even feel, or maybe feels it less than than the regular person would. Um, I, I, I don't know. Well,
1: there's there's techniques, right? So monks, if monks can do it to the point of self-immolation, they, this type of meditative technique, then it's possible, right? Just have to get good at it, rather than being a regular person. So, like regular people aren't very good at their emotions or anything like that. <laughs> so the
0: monks can. Uh, feel less pain
1: through practice, that's the idea. Well, for example, say you have a headache. Most people are going to focus on their headache. So you could start with focusing away from it, right? (laughs) If you're gonna focus on your headache, of course it's gonna feel like pain.
0: So then I wonder if, if the monks are just good at focusing away from things that cause them pain, then I guess they're, they're not, maybe they're not experiencing the pain as much or at all. Like the, the guy in the fire who set himself on fire, if he just was really good at focusing on things other than the pain, then maybe he didn't feel any pain at all. Because he was so good at diverting his focus to non-pain things. Yeah. So, um, I guess the the point I was making before we got into all this was that there's, there's this distinction between the perceptual and the conceptual level um, where the former, the perceptual level is automatic and the conceptual is not. But I guess taking into account what we've just been talking about, there, I think there—you can kind of mess with that. You can override the automaticness of the perceptual
1: level. I think it would still it be automatic. It, It's—it's automatic. The perceptual level—it'll always be giving information to the field of consciousness. It's whether you're there and identified with that pain or not, which has always been a choice.
0: Yeah. So maybe. So then, I guess, if that's right, then these abilities that monks have wouldn't be a counterexample
1: to the idea that the perceptual level is automatic. Uh, I I don't think it would be, right? Their perceptions are still operating automatically. They're just choosing to, um, like, everything is coming in in their body. Everything is behaving chemically normally. But they're looking at something else internally. Okay,
0: so I guess it's just what might make it seem not automatic is just that being present to something, like being in the environment of something doesn't automatically cause you to have a certain feeling. So if the monk is in a fire, that doesn't automatically cause him pain uh
1: so in that sense for sure it's causing his body pain but his him if we say him is the witness the witness is not involved with that
0: well can it can it cause the body pain if it's not causing him pain is that
1: the idea like yeah well he would say that he's not his body and not
0: his mind yeah i mean he could he could say that um and maybe there there's a sense at least in which he would be right in some context to say his body is not he he is not his body and i we've talked about that some um i guess i'm i'm less i would need more persuading to get on board with the idea that he is not his mind. Um, So I I would want to know more about what he is is exactly by that.
1: Yeah. I think they, when they talk about, the Eastern traditions talk about mind, they usually just mean thoughts. They don't mean the whole Western idea of a big tent mind, which includes like perceptions and memories and, and, conceptualizations and stuff. They just think the thoughts, that oral stream of words, they call that mind. And they don't really distinguish of whether it's like, is it operating by logic or not? They don't really, they're, they're not really so concerned about that. What they're more concerned about is, oh, just directly keep your emotions right. Because when you keep your emotions right, your intellect will work properly. So if, if you're joyful, for example, Do you need to be taught a whole bunch of things about ethics, like don't kill the people around you and don't steal? No, you'll be creative when you're joyful. You'll be more productive when you're joyful. So they focus on affecting the emotions directly to affect the intellect.
0: Hmm. So that's, uh, I guess that's the reverse of what we were
1: discussing earlier.
0: We're, right. We're,
1: I, I, the, find it, I find it, it works successfully, at least. I don't know if I'm actually um, doing it directly or not, but if I put myself into a good mood, I come up with greater solutions, more creativity, I'm more positive, and I'm more productive, and I'm better to work with, with all the people around me, right? So it's really important to pull yourself out of negative emotions, and then your thoughts won't circle around these negative things.
0: Maybe there's a reciprocal kind of relationship where um, having uh, positive emotions can help to generate positive thoughts, and positive thoughts can help to generate positive emotions, and it's uh, kind of uh, reinforcing
1: each other. They both, I, to me, they both occur in the same space. To me, there are thoughts, like imagine a, a ticker board, like you would see at a, a basketball game or, or like a news ticker board where all the writing's coming across the screen. The screen. That's how I think of my thoughts. And then behind, of it, behind it, the atmosphere is the emotions. You always have emotions in the presence of thoughts. That's what the atmosphere is, right? So they're both together always at once, unless you turn thoughts off. And then you still have emotion. It's the background.
0: Mm. Yeah, so there's... I guess there are times when your emotions are more salient. Like if if I'm just reading an article on Wikipedia or something, as I often do, um, sometimes I feel like I'm just uh, consuming information and I don't really feel noticeably positive or negative but maybe that default is maybe there is kind of a default positive feeling um like this is an okay thing to be doing and Mm -hmm. it's i'm getting this valuable information it's a worthwhile thing to be doing and it's only so long as i have that kind of uh baseline um, approval kind of feeling that I, I feel comfortable continuing to read. If I'm feel if i starting to feel like, ah, this is, this is not a good use of time, I should be doing something else, then I'll start, alarm bells, so to speak, will start to go off. Yeah.
1: I would say there must be emotions going on. They're just mild or new, close to neutral. So maybe we think of our emotions on a scale going up and down, with neutral right in the middle, you can really feel these emotions that are down here like anger, <laughs> like you're really aware of something very far from neutral or, or, or great sadness. And then you're really aware of like excitement and and love, things that are very high for a neutral But uh, When you're around neutral, that's not really a, a big pull for you to be aware of your emotions. So you're just focusing on your thought, but um, you have to be careful that you're not headed into a, a mildly negative emotion, just below neutral where you're in critical mindedness and then your thoughts are just always critical <laughs> and they're not productive. Or you have to think, you know, am I looking at this openly, neutrally, in equanimity rather than um, just being below neutral?
0: I wonder if there is such a thing. I mean, it seems kind of like a contradiction to say that there is some, there's such a thing as a neutral emotion like it seems like by its very nature, an emotion has to be at least somewhat positive or somewhat negative. Otherwise,
1: yeah. what kind of the emotion choice. is it? Exactly. It is a charge, right? Or it's an energy. So maybe peaceful is pretty close to neutral and maybe mildly annoyed is right below it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's plausible
1: that there's
0: always some emotion that we're experiencing and maybe it sometimes is kind of in the background and muted not very salient other times it's very it's very salient but i think it's plausible that there's always some kind of emotion that's coloring your experience at any time although maybe the monks they have a way of turning that off and uh yeah There's a question of that. Okay. So, um, have we made any progress here?
1: (laughs) I think, I think we're learning things, but I don't know if, um, I think, I feel like we, I want to lean toward the idea that um, myself is something to do with the really unique thing about me, like my will, where I get to make choice. I think that's, Kind of where I'm coming from now, so.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's um, at least one sense of self, and I think that is, I mean, that sounds like Ayn Rand's conception of the self, where she, she thinks of that essential you, to use that phrase, um, she uses that in reference to the intellect. I'm trying to go back to that quote. Um, the ego you seek, that essential you, which you cannot express or define, is not your emotions or inarticulate dreams, but your intellect, the judge of your sutre- supreme tribunal, whom you've impeached in order to drift at the mercy of any stray shyster you describe as your feeling. So she's you know, there that's a hard the,
1: definition of intellect for me to understand. What's that? That's a hard definition of intellect for me to understand.
0: Yeah, it's a bit long. So, but I think this is um, arguably a, another way of putting what you're saying. So, you, if your idea is that the self is the will, I think that's compatible with saying or maybe it's compatible with saying that yourself is the intellect because your intellect, at least on her view, is volitional, i.e. it operates in a willful kind of way. That's what you, that's what you, you, the faculty of reason is the faculty of volition um, on her view, or to put it another way, reason is volitional. Yes. i.e. the intellects which I think is basically what she means by reason. Um, The intellect is volitional. So I think saying that you are your will is kind of like saying, or yourself is your will, is sort of like saying your reason or your intellect.
1: Oh, I thought you were going at volition. Uh, Like if you are your will and and volition is, is something you need for reason, it seems like we are volition we're like that, that added um, cause into the world. Uh, uh, like the, we're
0: the prime mover, the, the first well,
1: cause? Well, in some way we are creating a cause because uh, this will is not caused. Uh, it's, a, it's a causeless cause. Well, from what it, it I see- other things this space, which witnesses my thoughts, this, this, the space has no cause to it. Right. From what I understand. Um, I watched Dr. Gottes talk on seize the reins of your mind. Have you ever seen that talk? Uh, It was a good one. And he said that this, uh, the volition is self-caused.
0: Yeah. I I don't remember that particular phrase from him in that talk, but I I think i I've seen that phrase used in connection with the objectivist idea of volition.
1: And that's very unique in this universe. There is nothing in your mind, like your thoughts all behave according to cause. Um, There is nothing, your body will behave according to cause. It's this only this thing which you have control of, uh, this volition which doesn't behave according to the Typical cause and effect.
0: Yeah. So, right doesn't behave in the normal or maybe it, it's biased or to say normal, but because it is normal, we do it all the time. It's just a different, different yeah. form of causation than exists in other parts of the world. Um, okay. So. So uh, your idea is that the the self, as you're now thinking of it, is the volitional aspect of us,
1: the will. Uh, Well, it's probably, maybe that's one way to describe it, right? Because what is this thing, will? Like, the more you sit there and just try to be that when you meditate, the more things you could call it. (laughs) You could call it like a timeless space. Uh, You could call it being in the now. You could call it uh, uh, a formless being." You can call it all sorts of things. Uh, you can call it an energy. So the more you meditate on it, the more you could possibly call it, I suppose.
0: Hmm. It's interesting that you're bringing up these meditation uh, this this meditation language. Because the uh, those seem to be different than Ayn Rand's view that the self or that essential you is the intellect. It seems like the the Buddhist kind of meditation idea is that you're you're getting away from the intellect in some way, and just her philosophy in general. I think is quite non-Buddhist uh, and has a very. I mean, in a way, it's anti-Buddhist. Um, Did she comment on it on Buddhism? Uh, I think there are some things she said, like she. she uh, I don't know. I could look in the lexicon here. She she comments about Hinduism, I think, in a in a way that's kind of negative. Well, uh,
1: but Hinduism I, is, such, is such like a a box of so many different things thrown together, that it's hard to even like it's some an amorphous blob. <laughs> it's like ten trillion different ideas and different philosophies, so it's so hard to say. Well,
0: my impression is that in general, her her view is opposed to the Eastern philosophies of like Hinduism or, or Buddhism and I mean maybe there's some way in which it's not opposed it's not. but yes. I think on the on the idea of like um, it's well one thing is the conception of self so in eastern philosophy based on the little I know about it um, they have this conception of the self as being, or, or they think of the Western conception of the self as kind of illusory. So our individual self is an illusion and the the non-illusory self, the real self, is kind of this cosmic thing that, they, I think they call it Brahman
1: sometimes or Atman. So, Similar to the Stoics, they said God was this thing in everything and at the root of you. I think the, the Buddhists say something like, yeah, nirvana, or they call it consciousness, um, is the root of you.
0: So they have a, a different conception of the self, which is... you. Well, might...
1: we don't know what Ayn Rand's conception of the self is yet. Uh, we got to intellect, but then she said it was a court and tribunal thing, so that wasn't a very good definition for me.
0: Well, I think an aspect of her view of the self is what we might call individualized, whereas these the Buddhist conception, uh, maybe a good term for it is, um, I don't know, universalized or collectivized as opposed to individualized. So she thinks that each, each, each individual human being like Brian, is one locus of a self and dan is another he's got his own self and they're not the same selves whereas the buddhists would look at us and say we're really not two separate selves
1: yeah they i think um this isn't from a hindu but from a muslim poet a sufi called rumi he said to imagine yourself as a droplet of water uh descending to the ocean so like your, your individual soul, your individual consciousness is, is like this water. It, it's like it has a separate bubble, but when you merge or when you have union with everything, then we're all together like in this ocean. So what they're trying to say is that your, the energy of, of your will, the energy of, of your spirit, it's founded in the same pool. And, and that energy is uprising into every individual human being.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think on Rand's view, I think she would say that when that individual droplet merges back into the ocean, you're gone. You know. So if I'm a droplet and you're a droplet, um, once I've merged such that you and I, those two droplets are indistinguishable. Once we're just part of the ocean, um, ourselves
1: are gone on Rand's view. Yes, uh, well, in, in the uh, Muslim view, it's the idea that um, your, your fake self, your egoic self dies. So when you stop saying all these I thoughts, all these thoughts about me, that's a fake story about yourself. Put down all those thoughts and just be as yourself in the moment. Put down any of the stories, the fake egoic self, that you tell yourself that you are. Oh, I'm this person with all these bad things that happened to me, and this is my education, and this is what I do. Put that away and just sit as who you are. And so that dying of the ego is becoming, once again, one with yourself.
0: Yeah, so that's where I, th- I think there's, there's some difference. I mean, I think there is a way in which you can get some distance from your, your thoughts and your education. I mean, people can reform themselves, and uh, that's definitely part of Rand's view. You're a being of self-made soul. Um, even if you grew up in a certain environment, come from a certain background, had a certain education and upbringing, through your volition, your will, you can uh, affect your course in life for better or worse. So you're not simply a pawn of these things that are not up to your uh, free will choice. Um, but I think there, there's... Uh, but I don't think she would want to put it in terms of, uh, like, say something like, your egoic self is your, is the fake self. I, I think she would probably want to insist, no, your self. That's my terminology.
1: Yeah, I guess they say it's an illusory self, I suppose. Or something that you self-create and don't need to hold up. And it causes you problems.
0: Right. Yeah. So I I think that's where Rand would, would, would differ and say, no, there's nothing wrong or problematic about the ego. Um, And I mean, ego is just a, it's a Latin term for I
1: or, or self. Um, So I guess all the contemplative traditions including the Christian, Muslim, I guess the Eastern ones, But within the Muslim contemplative tradition, when they say the egoic self, they mean I-related thoughts, I-me-related thoughts. And those are torturing people. Like just in our society today, people are having all these torturous thoughts about, um, oh, what will they think of me? Uh, All this kind of thoughts going on in their head. And so they're, they're saying, let that egoic self die. Stop putting up you're creating those thoughts. You don't have to turn on those thoughts whatsoever. You can just sit as yourself with no thoughts. So they're they're asking people for for the sake of themselves, their own mental health, and what they spread with the world to put down those ideas for certain periods of time at least.
0: Mm. I mean, depending on what you mean by egoic thoughts, uh, that I think the advice to put those put down ego thoughts egoic thoughts could be good or bad um, so I mean if to, to go with the example you just gave what do people think of me? I mean that might be a second handed sort of thought where instead of focusing on reality on as distinct from what other people think about reality, including you, um, maybe that's an unhealthy thing to do, to always be concerned about what other people think. Are they liking my tweets and posts enough? And um, yeah. how many friends do I have on Facebook or whatever? Um, so yeah, that if that's what an egoic thought is, I think it could be good and healthy
1: to get and when you're, in, that. when you're in sadness and when you're in anger, your thoughts are only I-related, they're egoic. So if we want to cure sadness and anger, we can put down the ego and they'll go away. Because what happens in sadness, right? Uh, they hurt me, they harmed me, uh, I feel pain because of something. Also in anger, um, first you feel a bit of harm and then you start to feel angry. Uh, it just happens in a microsecond. Anger is a secondary emotion. So first you feel like some injustice, some pain, then you feel anger. That all comes from me thoughts, relationship with me, me and other. And so instead of putting the world in two, me and other, just see it as one, is what they say. And when you look through your eyes, when you immerse yourself in the activities around you, you do see it as one. You stop seeing things as two in duality. You start to... For example, if you just immerse yourself in work, thoughts about me go away, and work is what is kind of in all of your consciousness. You don't even have room for thoughts about yourself.
0: And you're in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and that can be, I think, a very uh, good thing to be in um, when you're just immersed
1: in something so there the, the ego, according to, to that tradition is dying, but that was what Ayn Rand calls ego in Howard Roark when he's like immersing himself and creating. So, so people are using it in different ways, I think.
0: So there, um, yeah, this makes it uh, a little tricky in a way. I guess what we're saying is it can be a positive thing when the when the ego goes away, like when you're just immersed in the work and you're not really uh, self-aware. Yeah, it seems like that's a good thing, or that can be a really good thing to to do. Um, so, is is that a case where? It's, it's, I think it makes
1: us feel happy too. Uh, just going into that state of all out work or like all out focus. Uh, you know, why do people enjoy snowboarding or something kind of skillful but a little bit hard? It pushes them to the edge where they're free of all those thoughts. And it's really creative and fun, right? Like they snowboard because it's fun and you get it out of your head. Mm.
0: I guess you're still using, uh, or maybe you're still using volition, like when you're in the zone. Uh, so to go back to that idea that your, your volition or your will is your self, or at least the most essential version of the self, maybe the the self still is there when you're in the zone because you're still using your volition to perform whatever activity you're performing in that zone whether it's you know designing a building or doing your uh snowboarding but there's there's that reflective thing which is gone you're not
1: self-aware it's almost like The intensity, the energetic intensity of your will is so high to focus 100% on that activity that there's no energy left for reflective self-thought or egoic thought. So the volition can be like right on, like you've put the, uh, you have a light, a dimmer switch, and you put it right at the top kind of, and then those thoughts go away when you're right at the top of intense focus into your activity or your work. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I guess this, this is not a counterexample to the idea that um, yourself is your, your volition, but I think it is interesting that um, it can be a good thing when your self-awareness goes away, at least temporarily. Yeah.
1: It can be a, Good experience. Like your, your intellect is for planning. I think it's good for planning, but then you can put it away and work for periods of time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to always be meta to put it another way. It's uh, good to be engaged. Uh, I guess to, to bring in another aspect of her view, there's there's limited crow space. So, You know, the, the crow epistemology. There's you can only hold so much in your consciousness at once, and if you're um, if you're so consumed in a task in what it directly demands of you, there's no space in your your consciousness to be reflective. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think,
1: just another way of saying what you were saying. And almost all those activities are the most enjoyable. I think that's probably why we enjoy sex as a species, <laughs> huh. because we can finally stop thinking and just huh. enjoy. Uh, maybe. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't. It
0: what's I guess. Going on. E- yeah, I think that's that might be part of it. Um,
1: you're just immersed in the moments and so your your will and volition I think would still be there I think right it's just um, energetic energetically it's on your consciousness is on uh, that's really fully you when you're expressing yourself that way.
0: I guess at its best, if you're, uh, um, I'm thinking of like cases where you're like a prostitute.
1: Um,
0: in that case, uh, you might feel guilty if you're the prostitute. Oh, I'm just allowing myself to uh, be used as a tool, and I'm I'm just. I'm just a body here and in a way um, there's kind of a split a mind body split instead of being totally engaged with the activity um, she or he um, is having these distracting thoughts. Um, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't right. I'm just allowing myself to be used. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's maybe that 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 um, helps support your point that in sex, at least at its best, um, you're not divided. You don't have this kind of meta focus. You're just enjoying the experience.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, in that situation, yeah, she she is. Uh, I guess she's adding on to the to the already bad situation, by having bad thoughts <laughs> on top of it. But what, yeah, what can you do instead of leave? Yeah.
0: Okay, so um, anything else you wanna bring up here?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know, I figure we covered a lot of topics. Um, I think that's probably enough for today. I don't know if I feel more confused or more smart. I feel a little bit smarter, but maybe a little more confused as well.
0: Okay. Well, um, I hope some progress was made, even if uh, other things became more confusing, hopefully some things became more clear, or at least to somebody, to some other self out there who's watching this. I hope there is some value here.
1: I'd love to see comments. I will reply to any comments.
0: So. Okay, all right, comments, so that uh, Brian can reply and get a discussion going. Um, all right, well, I guess uh, we can draw a line here then.
1: And okay. uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, it was absolutely very cool thought, or very cool talk and tons of thoughts to think about now. Back to the research. Maybe we can have a, a part or two sometime.
0: Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Yep. Bye bye. <laughs>